Good morning. Welcome to Green Tree Community Church. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans is theology. It's what we need to know. It's more information uh, than it is exhortation. It's more uh, helping us understand how uh, to think about our faith. What does it mean for us to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And Paul does uh, just an absolute marvelous job inspired by the Holy Spirit of laying that out for us. And then last week we mentioned we turned a corner in chapters 12 through 16. We get into application or, or what we call the so what question. Okay, now that I know this, so what do I do with it? How do I apply it to my life? And Paul uh, is, is not going to leave many stir- stones unturned in that conversation. Uh, over the next two or three months, we're going to be looking at a lot of different facets uh, of our lives as individual believers as Jesus, as well as our lives corporately as believers in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to touch on one of those that kind of balances both. Uh, so I, we had some friends over last night, and we had a nice little dinner, and we decided to play a board game after dinner. And the board game, it goes like this. You, you pick out a question, uh, and one of the questions last night, for example, was uh, what advice would the president ask you if he called you in his office? And everybody but one person writes down their answer, and then the way you win the game is you guess correctly what people said. So that's the game. Uh, one of the questions was, uh, when you're with a group of people, what really irritates you? When you're in a group setting, what really irritates you? So I'm going to let you think about that for just a second. You don't have to write down your answer. But how would you answer that question? When you're with a group of people, whether it's a dinner party or a sporting event, uh, or maybe you're going to the theater, when you're a group of people, what is it that irritates you? Okay, so think about that. Ten, I want to play the Jeopardy music, but I forgot to get that wired up. Okay. If any of you think, thought that your answer was something along the lines of uh, when people are rude or when people um, dominate the conversation, when people are arrogant, it has something to do with how people irritate you with kind of their maybe a, a prideful or pushy spirit. Raise your hand if anybody thought that. Okay. And our, well, boy, you put them down quick. <laughs> In our group, we had eight people, so there, so there were seven people answering every question. Four of the seven said something along the lines of arrogant people, proud people, people, people that, that, that talk too much, people that it's all about them. Anytime you get two people together, it seems like you have that kind of opportunity for an opinion. And I think that um, the, the setting of the community of believers is a dicey proposition. When you get in our congregation, we have about 400 members. We have about another 200 people that, that aren't members but come all the time, you know, regular attenders. So we have about 600 people running around Green Street Community Church. You get that many people. The, the idea that we can actually live together in unity, not by avoiding one another, not by, you know, just showing up for an hour a week and then getting out of here as quick as you can so you, so you don't get irritated with anybody, but actually doing life together, actually um, appreciating one another, and honoring Christ in the way we treat one another is actually, I think, a pretty dicey proposition. When you put this many people together, I think there's all kinds of opportunities for us to rub each other the wrong way, for us to get under each other's skin, and for us to, to not apply the gospel, which we claim to believe, to our lives, our relationships with one another. And so it's no surprise that after Paul lays the foundation in chapter 12 for a renewed way of thinking, 
for being transformed in the renewal of our minds, the very first application he comes to is community. The very first thing he brings to our attention is the way we look at ourselves and how we interact with one another. In other words, what does it mean to have a healthy community of faith? What does it mean for for a church to actually reflect the gospel in the way in which we live with one another? Because you see, salvation is not only individual. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have a one-on-one relationship with God. But it doesn't stop there. As we'll see this morning, and in a whole other number of places in Scripture, God calls us to community. He calls our lives to reflect the unity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one in being. We were created for community. And so Paul begins this application aspect by addressing that very issue. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, we want to we kind of look at, at green tree uh, individually and corporately and ask, are, are we healthy in our relationships with one another? Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, hear the word of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving to the one who teaches and is teaching, To the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, both as individuals and as a body of believers. Father, we, uh, we come needing to apply this scripture to our lives. If we are to follow you and to to exercise the gifts that you give within the context of community in a way that actually brings health, brings unity, not divisiveness, brings strength that doesn't bring weakness. Uh, It actually is constructive, not destructive. And Lord, the the temptation when we are around other people is uh, to allow our sinful nature to have a negative impact instead of a positive impact. Father, I see in my my life daily, in my relationships with people where I fall so far short of honoring others and loving others the way you have loved me. And I I have a hard time passing that on to others. So, Lord, I need to hear this sermon as much or more than anybody else in this room. So, Father, we pray that that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and make it alive in our hearts. One of the greatest witnesses we could be to this world is, is the unity that we experience even with all the diverse gifts that you give and personalities, backgrounds. So, Father, help us understand what it means to be a people of God. Not because we're good, not because we're smarter, not because we figured it all out, but because we stand in the grace that you give us through Jesus. Father, forgive me for my sin. I pray that you wouldn't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know this morning. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and you would teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we, the term we use for ourselves most often around here is spiritual family. 
Uh, when I talk about Green Tree Community Church, I typically uh, talk about it in those terms. And in fact, if you ever get an email from me that's kind of a blitz that goes out to everybody, most often it says, Dear Green Tree Spiritual Family. Now, families can go in a lot of different directions, right? Some of you are sitting here this morning going, that's a great name. I love my family. And others, you're going, well, maybe we can come up with, you know, Green Tree Ball Team or, you know, Green Tree Theater Group, anything but family, because family in your mind maybe has uh, more negative connotations. But family does speak to the fact that we see ourselves as unified, that we see a common denominator in our lives, that our faith that draws us into intimacy. So how are we doing in that? How, how is God working in our lives to grow that healthy community spirit, a Green Tree Community Church. Well, I, I think the bottom line begins with, with this idea. How I see myself or how I see me determines how I'm going to treat you. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we looked at that last week. If you didn't happen to be here, maybe you could listen to that sermon on, on podcast because it would help give you a foundational understanding for what we're doing for the next uh, few months. But this transformation, this renewal of my mind, which is sparked by the Holy Spirit, it begins at at my salvation when I put my faith in Christ and it continues the rest of my life, is a restructuring of how I think about myself. It's a restructuring of how I view myself with the direct intent by God to make my relationships with you better, (laughs) to make them more Christ-like. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. That's the goal. How does Jesus think? How does Jesus move? How does Jesus live? That is what the the word of God is seeking to do in our lives. And so if I can see me through the lens of the gospel, if I can look at my own life in an honest way through, through what Christ has done for me, what scripture says, there's a much better chance that I'm going to treat you in a way that honors Christ. And that's true of every person in this room who's a disciple of Jesus. And so in this passage, I think there are four, excuse me, four practical implications of this renewal of our minds, this transformation. I want to look at all four of those implications. And as we go, just kind of continue to ask the question, how do we think we're doing in this? The first one Paul calls us to is an accurate self-assessment. In verse three, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What Paul is saying there is that the the grace in which we stand by faith, and, and, and in Romans he's talking about grace and faith constantly, this grace and faith leads us to humility. The, the natural, spirit-filled reaction to the cross of Jesus is not a boastful and proud spirit. I don't look at what Christ did on the cross for me and go, wow, that, I, I must be you know, the very best person in the world because Jesus went to die for me. No, I look at the cross and go, I'm the one that put the nails there. It's my anger. It's my arrogance. It was my lust. It, it, it was my greed that cost Jesus his very life. If Jesus doesn't die for me, I'm hopelessly lost. I'm separated from God for all of eternity. I have no inclination to move towards God. Every thought of my mind apart from Christ is to move away from God. And when Jesus steps into the world and and lives the perfect life and goes to the cross and dies and suffers the wrath of God, he does that because if he doesn't, we aren't saved. And if you just pause long enough, moment by moment, day by day, and consider the cross of Christ, 
it ought to give us the proper perspective of humility. There's a, a, a phrase in Martin Luther coined that is, um, that is in the, in the uh, Latin, and it's simul justice et peccator. And it means at the same time, simultaneously, I am both saved and sinner. And what Luther was trying to get at, what the reformers were trying to get at, is that you need to understand, yes, you're saved. Yes, you, you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. We, we sang this morning of the salvation that we experienced in Christ, but not because you're good, but because you're hopelessly lost. And if you put those two things together, what should result in that is a humility that allows for what Paul calls sober judgment. Now, I like that term because, because we can all get our minds around it. Because at one time or another, every person in this room has either been around someone who wasn't sober, or maybe we haven't been sober. I don't know. As I look at this group, that probably has never happened to any of you in this particular room. I've been to some weddings with some of you. But anyway, um, <laughs> and some of you have known me for a long time. There's, there's something about not being sober that blurs your vision, right? There's something about being under the influence of a drug or an alcohol. You know, like you take a medicine. Uh, I had a terrible cough last month, and I was taking uh, some different medicine, and, and, and Dr. Jonathan Real got me on a different one for the nighttime thing, and right there it says don't operate heavy machinery, right? There's a reason for that because you're, technically you're not sober when you take this medicine. There's a, there's a liquor store in town that, that's made a ton of money, uh, by the phrase, the more she drinks, the better you look, All right? I don't know if you've, you've seen that commercial or not, and you've got to think about it for a minute. I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be crass here this morning, but the fact of the matter is, if you're controlled by alcohol or by any other substance, it controls you. It blurs your vision. You don't see clearly. And Paul says, if you look at the cross of Christ and you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you don't have the response of humility, you are not seeing things clearly. (laughs) It's like you're not sober. But Paul says, the cross is a sobering aspect in our lives. And it brings us to a right perspective. It brings us to a perspective of not thinking more of myself than you should, but seeing yourself honestly for who we are allows us to understand that we are neither indispensable nor useless. And I want to make sure we look at both sides of that coin this morning. Paul says we ought to think of ourselves in proper accordance with the amount of faith that God has given to us. So on the one hand, we've been talking a lot about about being boastful uh, or being, being arrogant, being prideful, but there's a flip side to that coin. And the flip side of that coin is, you know, I'm not really worth anything. The flip side of that coin is to actually go further than the cross of Christ intends us and to say, I'm just not, I'm not worth anybody's time or effort and energy. And, and that's a gross misunderstanding of the cross because you were worth the life of Jesus. And if that doesn't give you worth, I don't know what does. It doesn't give you room to boast, but it makes you one of the most precious objects in all of the universe. And so Paul says, let's have the right balance. No one's indispensable. Uh, we lost... Pastor Jeremy a few weeks ago, he moved on to another church, and Pastor Anton uh, has, has had hip replacement surgery, and he's out of the office. The last time I was the only pastor on staff at Green Tree was in the year 2000, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is exactly true this morning, because both of those guys feel a little bit indispensable to me right now. My, my days are a little bit different without them, but you know what? We got a great search team that's working on uh, finding who's going to come and be our next assistant pastor. 
and they've been calling candidates. So we've got a real nice list of, of, of applications, and we're working through it. And I, and I think within a few months, we're gonna, God's going to bring to us the right person. It's not that we, we don't miss Pastor Jeremy. I miss him terribly. Uh, I had lunch with him last week, and, and he had a whole long list of questions for me about being the lead pastor. I'm like, yeah, that corner office is a lot of fun, isn't it, brother? <laughs> Comes with a little bit of a price tag, doesn't it? But I miss him. But nobody's indispensable, and God's going to fill that gap. And, and Anton will be back. He's recovering. But it doesn't matter whether it's me or you or one of the other pastors or staff members. Or, no one's indispensable. God's kingdom is going to move forward because it's God's kingdom. But nobody's useless either. And the flip side of that is even the smallest of us, even those of us that, that feel least equipped, we're going to talk about equipping in just a minute, have a place to play, a part to, to, that is our part, that only we serve in the kingdom of God. I'm not going to call her out by name because she would be embarrassed. But I have a little eight-year-old friend here at Green Tree Community Church. And almost every Sunday, she finds me. And she does one thing. She runs up to me and she says, hey, Pastor Tom. And she gives me a hug. That's it. She turns around. She runs off. (laughs) Got to go get some donuts. See you later. (laughs) We have about a three-second exchange every Sunday. But you know what? I can't tell you what it means for me to see her coming down the hallway looking for me. That's pretty cool. That might be the only thing she's doing at Green Tree Community Church right now, but let me tell you, that's, that's incredible. And if you're sitting here this morning going, you know, I just, I, I don't have a part to play, that's, that's wrong. Paul says, think soberly about yourself. Think honestly about yourself. God has called each one of us to a relationship with him that, that, that begins with an accurate self-assessment. Um, the second practical implication of this, I believe, is that Paul is, is talking about unity but not uniformity, and those are two very different things. Uh, verses 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul says that that we're one body, there's unity, right? That very first phrase. There's one body, but what? There are many members and they don't all have the same function. So there's unity, but there's health in a, a human body and there's health in a community of believers when there is not uniformity. Not everybody can do what, what Chip and Jeff and these guys do up here Sunday in and Sunday out. I can't sing a lick. Not everybody in this room would be a great second grade Sunday school teacher. Not every person in this room is equipped to be a Stephen minister and go and offer care and compassion to those that are hurting and need. Not every person in this room is equipped to be an elder and to be a spiritual shepherd of this congregation. Not every person in this room is equipped to do set up and take down every Sunday, but every one of us is gifted in different ways, and that's a good thing. The fact that, that you're great at compassion and, and I'm pretty good as, as a teacher is a good thing that we don't have the same gift. That, that, it, that it's spread out and distributed in a way that nurtures the entire body. The second thing we need to see, though, is that Paul says we're joined to Christ. We're one body. We're the body of Christ, right? But what else? And individually, we're members, who? Of one another. So whether you like it or not, this is your family. <laughs> whether you're happy about it or not, you're stuck with us. <laughs> and we're stuck with you. Because we're all part of Christ and one another. 
hear about the teenager that was really griping to his mom about how all the rules that they had on him and just how the family where the parents were so unreasonable and he just absolutely hated him. He said, I never asked to be born into this family. And without blinking an eye, she said, well, if you had, the answer would have been no. <laughs> it gets that way sometimes. And then you get old like me and then you, then you learn to enjoy it all the time because they move away and they never see you again. But, um, no. hey, I get to see them every once in a while. But um, we're together. We're joined together. We're family. Whether we think God should have set it up that way or not is somewhat not to the point. Because God understood that not only do we need to be connected to Jesus Christ, not only do we need that salvation, but he also understood that we need the fellowship. We needed the relationship. We needed the friendship. I told, you know, mentioned that we had some friends over last night, and I told Cindy earlier in the way, I said, I want to have some folks over. And we were talking about it, and I said, I just need some people time. I just need some friends right now. I just need to not be doing something that's affiliated with work, and I just need to relax and let my hair down a little bit and enjoy a lot of laughter and just some company. I don't have any other agenda but that. But I, I needed to feel that connectiveness. And we had a wonderful night. We accomplished absolutely nothing but laughing and enjoying a meal together. But it's because we're joined together. It's because we're joined to one another. And that's part of God's plan to care for you as an individual disciple of Jesus and me as an individual disciple of Jesus, that unity is so absolutely essential, but we must understand it is not uniformity. It's not a cookie cutter. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. God has orchestrated this in a way that it's going to complement. We're going to complement one another. As we'll see as we get into this this third uh, observation, this third practical implication is that these gifts are uh, given with a purpose. Paul says, having gifts that differ, so he he puts that in a very positive, according to the grace that's given to us, they're they're different because that's how God has set it up for our best, you know, for our best well-being. Let us use them. Let's, Let's get to work with the gifts that we have. We have this unity of faith. It is a solid foundation. But there is a diversity of gifts. Why? So that no need would go unmet. Uh, let me give you just a, a quick couple of sentences from a commentator named F.F. F. Bruce. He's really a smart guy, and he's talking about you know, how we complement one another. And he says, diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature. It is so in grace, too. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. Here are many men and women with the most diverse kinds of parentage, environment, temperament, and capacity. Not only so, but since they became Christians, they have been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole. The gifts that you have been given, the gifts that I have been given are for a purpose. We are freed from competing against one another to complementing each other. I don't have to look at you and go, gosh, I I wish I had that gift. You don't have to look at me and say, gosh, I wish I had that gift. Because God's given us the gifts that he's given us because he has a very specific intention for the health and well-being of his spiritual family. And so the gifts that you have and the gifts that I have are very intentional on God's part. And I don't have to compete with you. I don't have to, to, to feel defensive if you're excelling in your gift. In fact, I hope you excel in your gift, and I hope I can celebrate that with you. Because the more you excel in your gift, the better off I am as a member of the body of Christ. 
And if we don't understand that connectiveness is so essential to our faith, I hear people say sometimes, I can be a Christian and I don't need church. And on the one hand, I get what they're saying. And, and to a point, there is a, there is a speck of truth in that. But if you, if you take it beyond that little tiny speck of Jesus is enough, and you, and, you, and, you, and you let it extrapolate itself into breaking off fellowship from the Christian community, then you're flat out dead wrong. And, and you're going to hurt yourself spiritually. And you're not going to be giving to, to the congregation or the spiritual family to which you belong, and you're going to be hurting them too. We have to understand that this is God's directive for the life of his people. So when you settle down in a Green Tree Community Church, or if you're a visitor here and you go someplace else, or you wind up someplace else, understand that you're connected not only to Jesus Christ, but essentially you're connected to one another so that we can support and encourage and build each other up. The gifts are given from the Holy Spirit so that no need goes unmet, and we go from competing to complementing one another and vice versa. It calls on me to put you first. It calls on me to say, how can I serve the body of Christ in this area, in this particular spiritual family where I'm attached, before thinking about me? Uh, I read a story this week about a little brother and sister who were, who were grade schoolers. And uh, this is going back, I think, about 20 or 30 years. And the little boy had, uh, had a disease or had an infection earlier, a couple years earlier. But he was a pretty strong and sturdy little guy. And his body's immune system was working pretty well. And he fought it off. And he successfully, through some antibiotics, over, overcame whatever the, 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 uh, the bug was. But a couple years later, his sister got it. And his sister was a little bit weaker. She was a little bit more fragile. She wasn't quite as strong. And her body, her immune system wasn't fighting off this virus. And, and it did not look good for her. One of the options was a transfusion of blood from someone who had had this, this um, if I might be calling it disease, and that might be the wrong word. And I know we have doctors in the room, so I apologize if I'm using the wrong word. But somebody who had, who had successfully overcome it. And so the little brother, the brother could give a blood transfusion to his sister to help her. And so they go to him and they explain, this is going to help her be better. This is, you know, this is going to uh, make the, the blood better for her. And, and, you know, we want to do this. And he's like, well, okay, for my sister, I'll do it. So they go into the hospital and they've got the IV going and they're going through the transfusion. And he's looking at his sister and trying to be brave and trying to smile. You know, you can tell he doesn't like needles and, and yet he wants to help his sister. And they're almost done. And he looks at the doctor. He says, when am I going to die? Thought he was giving his life. He was smart enough to know if you take all the blood and I don't have any left, (laughs) I'm not going to go out and play ball this afternoon. And in his mind, he was giving his life for his sister. I'm sure he was relieved to hear that it didn't work that way. But point being, that's what the gospel is supposed to do in my heart. That's what the gospel is supposed to do in your heart, not just focus on me and my relationship with Christ and you and your relationship with Christ, but to say, how can we die for one another? How can we serve one another? How can we care for one another in a way that's so radically different from the world? When people see it, they go, there's something bizarre going on there. And the only answer to that is Jesus, the presence of his word and his spirit in our lives. You see, God gives us these gifts with a very specific purpose. And my, my, my fourth and final practical implication is simply, for example, and that, because that's how Paul ends this passage. And uh, before I jump into this part, I want to tell you, we're going to come back to this next week. I've actually, I got into this pretty deep during the week, and I said, I really have two sermons here. And so instead of keeping you for an hour, I decided to break it in half. So next week, we're actually going, I, that's usually when you all applaud, say thank you. Uh, we're actually going to look at prophecy service to you. We're going we're to come back and pull that apart a little bit because it's, it's too important 
to just kind of gloss over and assume that everybody understands what each of those gifts are. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that. So, so don't panic that we're skipping over that. But, but for our purposes this morning, I want to talk more about this idea of the gift. So Paul says, if, if you have prophecy, you know, use it to the degree of your faith. If the one who has serving, let him serve. The one who's teaching, let him teach and so on and so forth. When Paul uses that word gift, he's not talking about a talent or a, or a natural ability. Um, some, of, some of you in this room have naturally wonderful singing voices. That is a talent. Uh, some of you have, have good mathematical minds in your accountant, and you're good with numbers, and maybe you're a bookkeeper or, or a tax uh, accountant, and you, and, and you make your living with numbers because you're good at that. That's a talent. Um, everybody has some amount of talent, some uh, amount of ability. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul's talking about gifts that are present, and the word that technically is there in the Greek is the word from which we get our English word charisma, which typically sounds like somebody's full of life and outgoing. That's the idea because he's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about something that God supernaturally gives to every disciple of Jesus, and it's not, uh, they haven't done anything to earn it. It's simply due to the presence of God. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. That is a miraculous, supernatural thing that God does for every disciple. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, he then manifests himself by the way in which you go and live your life. So now you have some of these gifts. And as I said, we'll come back to those next week. Or you could study John 14 this week in preparation for that that sermon next Sunday. So we have no reason for boasting or for being arrogant or prideful about our gifts but we do have reasons for great confidence because our confidence isn't in our ability. Our confidence is in the Holy Spirit of God being present in our lives. And if he's present in my life, he's going to give me the gifts that, that he brings at his discretion by the will of God. Why? So that, again, no need goes unmet. So there, there's actually zero unemployment within the body of Christ. Everyone has a role to play. God saves us. By grace. God sanctifies us. And that word sanctification is just a fancy word for saying he renews our minds. He changes the way we think. He changes the way, the way we go about living our lives. That's a, a product of God's presence in our life. So we're saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. And grace also equips us. Why? Because God has a calling on our lives to serve one another and to build up his kingdom. So how do we apply this this morning? How do, how do, we, how do we just begin to think through uh, this topic and, and do some self-assessment? The first one is simply this. Is faith producing a humility and a, and a clear and, and sober self-assessment in my life? Or is it maybe time for me to take a step back and, and say, you know what, I, I'm probably thinking more of myself than I ought to. Or I'm probably thinking less of myself than I ought to. The balance of a Christ-centered, spirit-filled life is one that thinks appropriately. And so a good application for this this morning is simply to take it home and to wrestle with it a little bit. You may need to ask some friends or some family members, how am I doing at this? Do you see a prideful spirit in my life? Do you see a, a place where I have no tolerance for a certain type of person? Do you, do you, you know, am I the kind of person that thinks, you know what, if you don't teach Sunday school, then you're not a very good disciple <laughs> because I only see the world through one lens. It would be good to maybe go and do 
some self-assessment. Because that would lead us to the question of, is the renewal of my mind, is what God is doing through his spirit and his word, resulting in a love for Jesus and a commitment to others? You see, they go together, friends. You can't pull them apart. If I have a love for Christ, if that's growing in my life, then regardless of, of how God gifts me, and regardless of what I do within the body of Christ, my commitment will be to his people because my commitment is to him. And he calls me to both. And as a church, this is so fundamentally, absolutely crucial. If, if we become a body of believers that, that give lip service to this truth, we will do great damage in the kingdom of God. We'll do great damage in this community. But if we could actually apply this and by God's grace live in a manner that reflects a passionate love for Christ and an undying commitment to the people around us, there's no telling what God would do through the body of believers at Green Tree Community Church. Is the renewal of my mind resulting in a love for Jesus and a commitment to others? And then lastly is this transformation's effect, this, this work that the Holy Spirit is doing. It, am I, does it equal me using my gifts to serve my spiritual family? And am I benefiting from you using yours? Is, is the work that God's doing in my life resulting in me using my gifts to serve? And, and I'm not preaching a sermon, and, and then we're going to actually pass around sign-up sheets for anybody that may not be, be signed up to work in a ministry. We're not doing that at all. Uh, this is not a kind of a bait and switch where now I've you know, made you filthy guilty if you're not doing anything that, that now we're going to ask you to do something. No, that's between you and the Lord. That, uh, there's plenty of things for people to be involved in Green Tree, and there's, there's plenty of ways we'll find out next week how to explore what your gifts are and how to put them to good use. But that, that's, that's a matter of prayer for you and God. If you want to talk to somebody about it, I'm sure we, we'd be happy to talk with you about it. The point is that I want Green Tree Community Church, because I believe Jesus wants Green Tree Community Church, to be very, very spiritually healthy which means we're a sober-minded people. It means that humility, if somebody came and spent a week with us, they would say, and somebody said, what's the one word that describes those people? If humility came to their mind, we would go, amen, praise God. The Spirit is here. (laughs) If we miss that, I think we miss everything. So we need to allow this scripture passage to be a mirror to us this morning both individually as well as a body of believers. It's not just a board game. (laughs) What irritates you when you're with other people? It's no laughing matter. (laughs) Because there are people who are are dying to know Christ. They might not even know it yet. There may be some in this room who are exploring what it means to have faith in Christ. And when they look at you and me, a lot of what they think of our Heavenly Father is going to be based on their interaction with us. Will they see a humble people? Will they see a people that are committed not only to Jesus, but to one another who are sober-minded and compelled by the gospel of Christ to sacrifice ourselves for one another, for his kingdom, for his glory, and for our good? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that Paul not only wants to help us understand how to think, but he also wants to challenge us on how we live the priorities we set, the commitments that we, that we make and have. And Father, I thank you that, that he, he started at the right place. He started with uh, this renewal of the minds with the question of just 
being clear thinking in the way we look at our own lives. And Father, I think if, if every one of us did that for a few moments, we would see some very positive things that you're doing, but we'd also see some areas where we need to grow, where we need to be confronted, where we need to confess and repent. And so, Lord, I pray for that spirit. I pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't shirk back from that. We wouldn't be so proud that we couldn't say, yeah, I really, I got some wrinkles in the suit that I need God to, to be working on. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart, not only for Jesus, but a heart that then longs to, to serve one another that longs to use the gifts that you've given us to build up your kingdom so that a a spirit of humility and a a spirit of serving, a sober mind would result in lives lived and caring for others. Again, Lord Jesus, for your glory and that others would come to know you as Savior and Lord and for the good of this body, we pray in your name. Amen.